We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. So we're all standing at practice yesterday, and uh, it's pretty nondescript practice. Not a whole lot's going on. And then see a guy with his family, and it's a fancy white shirt across the field, and and I was like, oh, that looks like Drew Rosenhaus standing next to him. And then I take a closer look. It's like, oh, it's Navarro Bowman. What's he doing here? And then I check my phone and the Niners had tweeted an announcement that Navarro Bowman rejoined the team for the day and uh, and announced his retirement and wanted to retire with the team. So that kind of threw yesterday on its head a little bit. It wasn't like it was a super exciting OTA practice. These things are padless after all. And, and it was a lot similar to what we've already seen, but it was just cool to see Bowman there. And, you know, I, I got to sneak up kind of close to the team's post-practice huddle and listen to Kyle Shanahan talk about Bowman and heard Bowman break the thing down. And uh, it was just kind of a cool moment to see Bowman come back uh, after his sort of turbulent departure from the team in 2017. You know, you you remember that the Niners were sort of I don't know if phasing him out's the term, but as as time was going on in that season, he was playing less and less. And obviously he was coming off the Achilles injury from the previous year on top of never really being the same after that completely devastating and gruesome knee injury from the NFC title game in 2014. Um, and the Niners had drafted Reuben Foster and, and they were just playing other guys who were who were faster and a little bit more mobile. And, and Bowman was prideful and didn't want a reduced role. And I don't know if I can necessarily blame him, given he was a four-time All-Pro at that point. The Niners were in a massive rebuilding project, so he demanded to trade. And the Niners couldn't facilitate a trade because the the teams that were willing to trade for Bowman were not on Bowman's list. So they released him and allowed him to find his own team. And he ended up 
staying in the Bay Area, going just up the Bay to, to join the Raiders. And I think he started, what, that Thursday night game or something like that? <laughs> His first game with Oakland, and he said he had two days. But uh, it was cool catching up with Bowman. We hadn't talked to him since he left. So to get his perspective on things, you know, obviously things are all good with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch now, and and he has a better perspective about where things were and and his relationship with the organization isn't totally destroyed because of that. But it was notable, like, you know, they gave away Navarro Bowman's number pretty quickly. Uh, They didn't have a real grandiose press conference like they did when Patrick Willis retired. Um, There was nothing in the auditorium. I don't think John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan gave an official statement. I I think the team's press release or the article on its website had a quote from John Lynch, the same quote from when they released Bowman back in in October 2017. So I think that the Niners kind of deal with these things like, you know, kind of depending on the way that player leaves the the franchise. Obviously, the team hasn't given Frank Gore's number to, to anybody else because Gore is such a revered person in that building. And I think Bowman is just a notch below that level, just in terms of how the organization feels about it, because they weren't thrilled that he demanded a trade and was unhappy with, with the way things were going when, you know, the team was counting on him to be sort of a veteran presence and, and sort of put the team first and set an example for the younger guys. And Bowman was like, well, I I just want to play. I want to play hundred percent of the snaps. So I mean, Bowman was there with his kids. His kids are a lot bigger than the last time we saw him, obviously. So I, it was it was a cool moment. It was, it was cool to catch up with him. And I'm, you know, on a personal level, I'm glad that he's happy with with where he's at in life and he's content. Sometimes some of these guys get injured and it takes football away from them to the point where it can lead to, you know, bad things happening. And and that didn't happen with Bowman. It doesn't seem like it seems like he's he's content. He's moved back to these coasts. Uh, I think he's in Maryland or, or Virginia, somewhere in the D.C. area these days. He's coaching his kids' basketball team. He said he said he got to wash his car in his front yard for the first time ever, and that was like yeah. the coolest thing to him. So, yeah, Navarro Bowman came back yesterday, surprised us all, and, and retired with the 49ers. Uh, I guess it should be noted he didn't sign a, a formal one-day contract because – that would have taken an actual roster move. The team would have had to release somebody because they have 90 people on their offseason roster right now, and they didn't want to release somebody just to give Bowman that one-year deal and then go through that. Um, maybe which is another indication that his standing is a little bit different than someone like Frank or Patrick Willis, given the way things ended. But, you know, now things are good, and it was cool. It was just kind of a cool a cool thing to, uh, to happen, you know, during the arguably the most monotonous portion of the offseason program, which is the voluntary OTAs before the mandatory sessions next week. Yeah. Bowman officially retiring feels a little bit like the final turning of the page from that last era of the 49ers. At least it it felt that way a little bit for me. Bowman didn't play a super long time, but he had such an impact on those Niners clubs from 2011 to 2013 that went to three straight NFC title games. He had the pick at the stick, obviously, but he also had the pass breakup on fourth and four for against the Falcons in the NFC title game that sent them to the Super Bowl. He had a crucial interception against Aaron Rodgers. I think it was week one of, of 2013 in, in Lambeau. And he had all these plays that just kind of really stand out. And he managed to shine next to Patrick Willis, who was kind of undeniably the best linebacker in the league at that time. 
and putting together, you know, one of the best stretches ever for a linebacker. And Bowman was kind of with him step for step, which I think was incredible at that time that anybody could even come close to matching Patrick Willis. So I'm with you. I don't think that Bowman's tenure with the 49ers, given the way it ended, and given that it, I mean, it was really, it was really pretty short, especially considering he missed the entire 2014 season after tearing his ACL and his MCL in that year's NFC Championship game in Seattle. But then he came back and was an All-Pro in 2015. Like he was a really remarkable player. His career, I just don't think, extended quite long enough to to be revered in the way that maybe a Frank Gore is or a Joe Staley will be. Mm-hmm. But he still he still is going to live on as as you know one of those kind of legendary 49ers forever, just because of how vital he was and and the signature plays that he came up with. Yeah, eight years with the Niners, one years one year with the Raiders. Probably somebody who would have played at least three or four more seasons, uh, if not for that for that injury in the in the against Seattle in the conference title game. I think like and this isn't a knock on Patrick Willis. I, I think Patrick Willis had a had a better overall career than Bowman, just you know, the broad scope of things. But I think twenty thirteen Navarro Bowman, who you know, I, I think should have won defensive player of the year. And I thought it was insane yep. that he didn't get a single vote. Um, 120 solo tackles, eight pass breakups, six force fumbles, five sacks, two fumble recoveries. Obviously the pick in the stick was one of his two interceptions that year. And I know I'm not that, you know, there, there are other national writers who have said the same thing that Bowman should have gotten more consideration. And, you know, with Luke Keekley winning it, I know a lot of people thought Bowman was better than Keekley that year, but I think peak Navarro Bowman, that 2013 season was probably the best year we saw from either Bowman or Patrick Willis. And again, that's not a knock on Willis. And that's not to say that I think sure. Bowman had a better career than Willis, but I think that single season was just so good from Bowman um, that that was sort of the peak of, of where things were. Uh, with that linebacker duo, and Bowman said it. He was like, "I I think we're the best two to ever do it together." And I'm not a football historian, and I'm I'm not going to cl- claim to be familiar with all the top linebacking duos because I've only been covering this team for this, going on my seventh season. But I think that that's the best inside linebacker combination that I've ever seen. I guess uh, you'd think about maybe Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley. You know, do do Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright count for this era? We'd have to do some digging to go through it, but I'm pretty comfortable saying there hasn't been a better inside linebacker combination of two guys over the last, I don't know, maybe since the turn of the century than, than Bowman and Willis. Yep. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me again, as always, it's Kyle Madsen, the content czar of Niners Wire, the most Spates historian. Thank you. A lot of people, a lot of people forget that about me. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you're letting well, the people know. Well, they today with your with your super controversial tweet that no one understands. Yeah, understand. I like to really rock the boat. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is there there is this picture floating around the internet several years ago. It, it's all these NBA greats like on the court together taking a shot with 0.1 seconds left on the clock. So I photoshopped most baits into it because that's hilarious. And it came up on my Facebook memories today. Posted it on Twitter. And it has some people really in their feelings that Mo Spates is in this photo, even though that's like the joke. And so I'm dealing with that today. So if I'm a little off my game, that's why. I'm pretty shook. 
Yeah, so let's just go through this real quick to talk about how hilarious this thing is, because there are a lot of really funny aspects to this. So you have Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, uh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, and most Bates. And they're all shooting like these real, they're like contorting and shooting these crazy jump shots. And you see there's point one on the clock, like you said. And then, you know, all these guys are really athletic, super high off the ground. And most Bates is like, I mean, it, it almost looks like he's on the ground. He might be a, an inch or two off the ground, but just like the, the way he's not elevating in, in pure yeah. most Bates fashion compared to everybody else <laughs> is just incredible. I really thought it was funny. I really thought more people would appreciate it and apparently not because people really want to see like Damian Lillard on there. Right. And well, where's Dame? <laughs> I don't know. You put him in there. I mean, you'd, you'd got to put Steph over Dame, right? Steph must be shooting from behind the camera. Okay. No, there's there isn't uh, there isn't much room for sarcasm and nuance on Twitter. Um, but I want you to know that I appreciate your humor, Kyle. Thank you, thank you, and that's why you keep bringing me back on the podcast. <laughs> One of the many reasons. Um, so we we already went through Navarro Bowman in, in our cold open today. Him retiring yesterday with the 49ers was pretty cool. Otherwise, there there wasn't a whole lot to take away from from OTAs in terms of stuff that lends itself to this podcast in in a way that's interesting. We've talked a lot about uh, the defense in previous episodes and how that's going to look different. Um, there weren't any market changes from that during OTA practice yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so we got to watch practice on Tuesday. And then next week, we will be able to watch all three of the mandatory minicamp practices, which should be a little more intense, maybe offer up a little bit more in terms of what to actually expect as a primer for training camp. Um, I did think Trent Taylor played really well yesterday. Debo Samuel was held out of drills for the first time since since getting drafted, or at least the first of the three practices that we, we've all got to watch. Um, we didn't speak to Kyle Shanahan afterwards, so we don't have a reason why Samuel might be out. Um, it sounds like he might have tweaked something minor, but we don't have specifics. But I thought uh, Trent Taylor looked really strong, and, and that's an important storyline for the 49ers because I think he was – his absence last year, or at least his his lack of production, was sort of underrated. And when you look at the offense not being what it was in 2017, and obviously when you don't have your starting quarterback, that's a huge part of that too. But uh, Trent Taylor could could be a, a really important 49er in 2019. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about some guys that we think need to break out in order for the 49ers to make the playoffs because it's a young team and they have some pieces that need to take the next step and improve if the 49ers are going to be in the mix for playoff contention or if they're going to be another middling mediocre team that has us wondering if Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing enough to to build out this roster in a way that gets the 49ers back to where they need to be. So we've we've created a, a preliminary list and uh, and let's go through it. So why don't we start with Trent Taylor? He spoke about his injury yesterday. So this time last year, Taylor was recovering from back surgery. And he sat out uh, a lot of the, the spring drills and, and things like that. And it seemed relatively minor. There, were, there wasn't much concern coming out from the 49ers about his injury. And, and given the fact that he was so good towards the end of 2017, particularly with Jimmy Garoppolo, particularly on third down and running slant routes, you remember all the big catches he made. The two that stick out to me are the uh, the third down conversion in Chicago during Garoppolo's first start late in that game in the final, the game-winning field goal drive. 
was a big play. And then there was a, I believe it was a third down. It was against the Jaguars, the touchdown he had where Garoppolo scrambled left and threw back across his body to find Taylor. You know, Taylor, you looked at Trent Taylor and George Kittle and you thought, you know, wow, these, you know, two fifth round picks, the 49ers could could have something in both these guys. And then obviously you, you saw that with Kittle the next year, but you didn't see it with Taylor because of that back injury that ended up being a lot more severe than than initially anticipated, which also underscores the idea that back injuries are no joke. You know, no, no matter how they're viewed as initially, you always have to, to be aware of a back injury maybe being worse than initially anticipated. So Taylor said the, the injury was essentially just a buildup of scar tissue over time. And it wasn't scar tissue from a previous injury. It was just, it was just a buildup. And it, it was a little bit more complicated than he thought. He wasn't nearly as explosive or as strong as he was his rookie season. And now he says he's feeling back to the Trent Taylor that we saw in 2017. So if he can improve on that, you know, with new receivers coach Wes Welker, uh, I think the Niners are going to be in good shape in the slot. This is a thing I'm not sure anyone's really brought up, so I want to make sure we talk about it. Has has it ever occurred to anybody that Trent Taylor and Wes Welker could be really similar players? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because... We're trying to dig deep into the storylines <laughs> nobody's talking about. Well, Trent Taylor said yesterday that when he first got to Louisiana Tech, everyone called him Wes because of Wes Welker. <laughs> which is i wonder why yeah they must is, have similar route combinations <laughs> yeah they they can uh they can stick and move really well and and it's funny too because when what uh welker said when when he was an assistant with houston in the 2017 offseason he really liked trent taylor coming out of la tech and so you know i don't know if if maybe it's because they have similar games or similar styles or similar grit but I think Wes Welker being there is, is similar absolutely. work ethic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they probably both like hard hats and lunch pails and things like that. If they were on the same team, they would race to see who could be the first one on and the last <laughs> one off the bat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so Wes Welker, I think is a very, he, we, we talked to him a little bit yesterday. He's probably the most intriguing addition to the coaching staff, just in terms of what he can bring and how he can help shape this, this receiving core, because he talked a little bit a little bit about the challenges facing like having guys with vastly different size and measurements and, and skill sets playing the same position. Like the 49ers in the slot are gonna have Trent Taylor, who's I think generously listed at 5'9. And then you have Jordan Matthews, who's a good 6'3, and then you have Jalen Hurd, who's 6'5. Um, and all these guys are getting work right. in the slot, and then you also have Richie James. So it's Wes Welker said, like, this is a learning curve for me, too, trying to figure out how to coach these guys who don't have the same physical skills as Trent Taylor. Anyway, that was a little bit of a digression, but Trent Taylor, very important 49er in 2019, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. He was a go-to target for Jimmy Garoppolo in his handful of starts in 2017. And then even last year, you could see that Garoppolo really wanted to rely on him, but Taylor wasn't there physically like you talked about earlier. So I think having a reliable receiver out of the slot, it's so important in, in the NFL today. And I think Taylor has all the tools to be really good, like a 70 to 90 catch guy coming out of the slot. And that's something this Niners, this Niners receiving core could really use. So I absolutely think that getting him back, getting him 100% and giving Garoppolo 
a target that he has rapport with will be will be enormous. Yeah, the Niners converted 38% of their third downs last year. That's not great. In the middle of the pack, it was 17th in the league. I would have to go back and look at the stats. I remember the Niners being really good on third down during that five-game winning streak when Garoppolo was first made the starter in 2017. And Trent Taylor was obviously a huge part of that. So keep an eye out for Trent Taylor. I think the 49ers are going to need a ton from him if the offense is, is going to be productive in, in crucial situations throughout 2019. Do we want to stick on offense or do we want to move to defense for our guys that need to break out? I think we should stick on offense. We have three more guys on offense, so let's just let's do those. Okay, uh, Dante Pettis. I think it's pretty clear the Niners view him as a starting receiver, possibly their number one receiver, although uh, the way the, the system is implemented, the 49ers don't have a de facto number one guy. They have positions, right? They have X receiver, they have Z receiver, and they have F receiver, which is essentially a slot receiver. And then basically any of their skill position players can move out to all those spots. Uh, And the way George Kittle talked about it yesterday was that if Kyle Shanahan wants to get somebody open against a certain look, he knows exactly how to do it. And generally, if that guy is not open, then there was a failure to execute at some level of the offense, right? So I think just given Pettis, what we saw from him as a rookie, there aren't a ton of rookie receivers who come in and just dominate right away. But I think we saw signs of Dante Pettis being a very productive receiver, particularly within this offense, if he can maintain his health. He's really good at changing directions. He's a really good route runner. Um, and he spoke a little bit to us yesterday about how, and this sort of echoed what what Kittle said his rookie year. Kittle was like, In 2017, he said he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off because the playbook is so dense and complex and his responsibilities are so vast that he didn't really start feeling comfortable within the scheme until his second year when he had a better grasp of the playbook. And that's the point where Pettis is getting to now. He has a far better understanding of what he's going to be, what his responsibilities are going to be within the framework of the offense this year, as opposed to last year where he was just a rookie learning on the fly. And, and if you remember, he was, he was going to play, I think it was Z receiver. And then they had to move him to X because Marquise Goodwin got hurt in the season opener against the Vikings. And, and from there, Pettis was, was, I think, stretched a little bit thinner than he was expecting in terms of just what he was, what he had to know. So I think he's beyond that now. And so I'm thinking Pettis, obviously, without Pierre Garçon, uh, with Marquise Goodwin having probably a lessened role, just given his durability concerns, I think Pettis is obviously going to be, if not the team's most targeted receiver, definitely in the top two. And if the 49ers are going to make a run at the playoffs, I think they need at least, you know, 850 yards and five or six touchdowns from him, you know, something like 80 catches, something like that. And Pettis is going to be a super important player. And I think he can. I think he, I think he can absolutely get there. So you mentioned his injury because through his first two games, he had three catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. He did nothing against Kansas City, didn't even earn a target. He got hurt early against the Chargers, I believe, on the first punt of the game. And then came back against Arizona four weeks later, had one target and no production, didn't get a target against the Raiders. He had six targets against the Giants. He caught four balls, but he only went for 12 yards. Like it was a lot of screens and just really trying to force the ball to him. But then his next four week stretch after that is why I'm very optimistic for Dante Pettis and what he can do in this offense and just showing how important he can be to their offense. 
against Tampa Bay, Seattle, Denver, and then Seattle again. He caught 17 balls for 338 yards and four touchdowns. That's nearly 20 yards per reception. And over the course of a year, it's 68 catches for 1,352 yards and 16 touchdowns. I don't think that's the level of production we're going to see from him this year because that's insane over over a 16-game season. But I think it shows how good he can be and how important he can be to the offense. It's not a coincidence that they won two of those games against Denver and against Seattle at home. Their offense is different when he's on and he provides an explosive element. Even if he's not the most physically gifted in terms of like height and weight and just athletic traits, like you said, he gets open, he understands he understands how to how to separate. Yes, separate. That's the word I was looking for. He understands how to separate. And he's good with the ball in his hands after he makes a catch. I just he's he's a really good player who I think can offer a, a dynamic weapon in their in their passing attack. Yeah, the play that that always stands out to me when thinking about Pettis's rookie year was that fade route touchdown he caught. I think it was against the Broncos. Oh, Denver at the one, yeah. Yeah, and and the Niners were not a good red zone team, and part of it was because they struggled to create space when the field is condensed, right? But Pettis took two steps and then cut outside and had six yards of separation on on an easy fade route. And and normally I'm not a big fade route guy in the end zone, but when you can separate like that, I think it speaks to your athleticism, your your route running, your fundamentals, all of those things. And I think Pettis has all those things in spades. The question is, is going to be durability. And he said he's 197 pounds right now. And he said he played uh, at 188 at the end of last season. And I'm just wondering if you know, 197 is enough to handle a 16 game slate when, when you're going to be targeted a lot and you're going to be taking some hits and getting tackled pretty frequently. That That's my one concern with Pettis, but I think overall I, he could be somebody to keep an eye on. And, and if put it this way, if Dante Pettis has a thousand yard season, I think there's a really good chance the 49ers are in the nine to 10 win territory like i think pettis could be yeah. could be a good barometer of, of where the 49ers stand in terms of his production yeah and that just if, if he's putting up those kind of numbers i i'm i'm imagining that that opens things up for a lot of other players on offense as well right all right let's go to uh to running back and we know the 49ers are deep at running back and they've had some some guys, you know, Tevin Coleman's obviously established as a as a really quality player in this league. Matt Breida has shown sign up, signs of promise throughout his first two seasons. But I think the guy the 49ers really need to break out to be super effective this year is going to be Jarek McKinnon. Um, he's coming off the ACL injury. We obviously haven't seen him in practice yet, but... I mean, I keep going back to training camp, and and I asked Kyle Juszczyk about this yesterday, too. Like, how important was Jarek McKinnon's absence to what the offense did early in the season last year? And and Juszczyk said it was big. Like, you watch training camp, and and McKinnon was lining up in the slot. He was lining up outside. He was creating mismatch issues with linebackers and safeties. He was used in the screen game a ton. You know, you you just look at his athleticism and and his spider graph, uh, big spider graph guy. McKinnon is probably, McKinnon is probably I do like spider grass. I'm glad we've established that. Um, McKinnon's probably I mean, is he the most athletic 49er when he when he's healthy? I think he might be. Jalen Hurd is up there, I think, but Jarek McKinnon it, it probably is. Yeah, I mean McKinnon's McKinnon's sub four four. I think he did twenty eight reps on the bench press and forty inches or whatever in the vertical. 
just his versatility and what he can bring to the offense, I think was sorely missed last year. And, and people talk about, well, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't look all that good in his first three games last year. I think the 49ers had to change up a lot of what they were doing because they didn't have anybody who could replicate what Jarek McKinnon was for them. And they were used to practicing with McKinnon and having him be this fulcrum of both the running game and the passing attack. And, and he was gone and they couldn't replace him. So if he's healthy and, and if he has a big season, then I think the 49ers are, um, are, are going to be in a good spot. And, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, well, he's never carried the load before. He's never been a starting running back. Uh, he averaged, you know, fewer than four yards a carry his last two seasons. I'd throw all that out. Like, I think the Niners offensive line is better than, than the Vikings offensive line in the last two years. I think this scheme, particularly, you know, with Kyle Shanahan identifying Jarek McKinnon as somebody who fits it perfectly, I think he's going to thrive in it if he's available and if he's healthy. And with all these other running backs, he, they're not going to need, you know, 400 carries out of him. I, I think McKinnon is going to be a really important player. And I'm eager to see him back on the practice field because I want to see what the offense looks like with him there because I think he provides something that no other 49er can just in terms of that versatility, the route running, the pass catching. He's just a super dynamic player, and I don't think there's anyone else on the roster who is that dynamic right now. Yeah, what you said about Kyle Shanahan identifying McKinnon and going after him and probably overpaying him a little bit speaks volumes about how important he was going to be in the offense. Like Kyle Shanahan doesn't just – it wasn't like they just went and picked him up on day six of free agency. Like he was the guy they wanted that Shanahan said, this is the player who's going to be most effective in this offense. And given his success offensively, Shanahan's that is, you have to trust that. And the fact they had McKinnon for zero games last year, I completely agree with you. I think threw a big wrench in there and their plans – at running back. I'm looking at McKinnon's contract and it's, it's funny to me that, you know, the Niners, the Niners don't really have any problem paying free agents. They're guys they want to bring in, right? Like they gave McKinnon a four year, $30 million contract with 8 million, 18 million in guarantees and, and almost 12 million guaranteed at signing. And a lot of people are like, Whoa, that's a ton of money. The 49ers are still 35 million under the cap heading into the season, uh, which is, I think, among the top four or five in the NFL, which is notable because they have Jimmy Garoppolo on a long-term expensive contract. They have D Ford on a long-term expensive contract. You know, they, they have sort of these check marks when you look at teams that are like really up against the cap. Like they paid the running back a lot of money. They have a pass rusher they're giving a lot of money to. They have their quarterback, and you would think that the Niners would be right up against it but they have 35 million cap space. So the the point being, and this is just a quick aside that like, let's not freak out every time a free agent signed for maybe more than he might be worth in your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like let's, let's not worry about the 49ers cap situation. All right. One more offensive guy. Speaking of big contracts, I guess, uh, how about Weston Richburg? We didn't see a whole lot of production from Weston Richburg last year. The center who got, it's a five-year, $47.5 million contract, uh, one of the richest in the league. Kyle Shanahan said he played really well. The pro football focus people did not like the way he played. I'm sort of in between. I mean, I think it's important to have a, a center that, that fits your scheme, who you like. 
and Richburg is a really good athlete, and and I think he showed that early in the season. But then that knee injury he suffered week four against the Chargers really sort of debilitated him, and he hasn't been practicing since because he had surgery in the offseason to repair. It was a knee and quad injury. So we're not going to see him until training camp. But the Niners need Richburg to be a really good center. Uh, There's no doubt about it. They're so reliant on the outside zone that they need Richburg to be able to get to the second level consistently. They need him to be better in pass protection, particularly against, you know, guys like Aaron Donald. So I think Richburg needs to be really good in in 2019. And, you know, center is obviously a really important position. And it doesn't take a football expert to say that you need good play from your center, particularly when you are in the same division as Aaron Donald to say, you know, the Niners need him to be good. Yeah, they struggled badly with really good interior pass rushers. And not that not that struggling against Aaron Donald is is some kind of really bad mark on a player's record. But Richburg had a hard time stopping anybody up the middle last year. And I think it adversely impacted the Niners offense in more ways than a lot of people really thought. So I'm thinking that a full healthy season from Richburg will start to see more the player who was very good for the Giants than than the one who struggled for San Francisco. Yeah, so just going through the the PFF stuff real quick. As a rookie, his his grade was 69.8 in in pass pro, which is good. Then the next two years yeah, nice. then the next two years he was he was about elite. He was 87.5 and 87.3. Took a little dip down in 2017, 74.6, which is still good. Last year it was 61.6, which is not good. And that's so pretty bad. Yeah, just purely on, on a on a grading standpoint, that that's not particularly good. And and the 49ers would contend that the knee injury was a main reason why. So I think if he's healthy, he should be better. And the 49ers are banking on him being better. And they've brought in Ben Garland. They have Mike Person, so they have more. Um, they have more options at center than they did last year. Uh, Eric Magnuson hasn't hasn't been practicing, and and we still don't know what his injury is yet. But yeah, Niners need Richburg to be good. It's my take. Strong, rack them. <laughs> uh, Kyle, we've got an announcement to make. Oh, okay, go ahead. All right, Blue Wire, our network, is teaming up yeah. with Harry's Razors to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to Harry's <laughs> go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Wow. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Hey, Chris, I have a personal announcement. I actually did that offer and my Harry's razors are on the way and I'm very excited about it. Congratulations. Thanks, that man. Is, I'm excited to join. That is, that is great news. I wonder how they're shipping the razors to you. That's a segue. Uh, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. 
That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. All right. Switch to defense. Let's do it. All right. This is uh, this is not groundbreaking, but Kyle, the 49ers need a Cal Witherspoon to be good. Wow. That's, that's a scorcher that I need a minute to process. So you're saying <laughs> that third-year cornerback, Akello Witherspoon, needs to take a step up from where he was last year, if the 49ers are going to have success. Correct. Whew. Elaborate, please. Yep. All right. Well, cornerback's an incredibly important position. And as we know, the 49ers didn't really do a whole lot to upgrade it after really struggling in the secondary at all levels of the secondary last year. Witherspoon is a person they pegged to be a starter and, and a valuable starter. And they thought what he did in 2017 was enough to essentially earmark him as a starter for 2018. The problem was he didn't play particularly well in 2018. And, you know, for maybe for a myriad of reasons, but we spoke about some of them in last week's episode, talking about how Witherspoon was basically trying to do too much and trying to, to play sort of outside the scheme and make plays that weren't there for him to make. And, you know, we mentioned it, like when Bill Belichick says, do your job and, and your job only, that's what he's talking about. So, Witherspoon has has sort of acknowledged these issues. He has a new position coach in Joe Woods, and the 49ers are banking on him being a lot better, which is why they only decided to bring in Jason Verrett, who's played in just a handful of games in the last three seasons because of a myriad of injuries, including an Achilles tear suffered last July that's kept him from participating in the spring program to date. They just need Witherspoon to be good. I mean, it's it's really that simple. Like, if, if Witherspoon is bad and they have to shuffle through cornerbacks again, if they have to rely on Jason Verrett to start 16 games, I just think it's it's problematic. And even if Verrett wins a starting job, you're still going to need Witherspoon to be good because Verrett's dealing with injuries. Richard Sherman is 31. You know, he looks a lot better than he did at this point last year, obviously, a year further removed from the Achilles tear. But at some point, Akello Witherspoon is going to get meaningful snaps, whether that's as the full-time starter or whether that's in a fill-in role. Uh, We saw it last year. The 49ers played a ton of different cornerbacks, and uh, Witherspoon was one of them, and and really Sherman was the only one who played well. So Witherspoon entering year three just needs to be good. That's all there is to it. And the 49ers uh, obviously feel the same way. They didn't invest much in in the cornerback position this offseason because of Akello Witherspoon. Like, I know Tavarius Moore is in competition there. I know they went and added Jason Verrett, who is a pro bowler when he's playing. But they're banking on Witherspoon being a 
very good starting caliber, stays on the field every snap type of cornerback. And if he's not that, it really throws a wrench in their plans defensively this season. Like, that's it. It's not a lot more. And also, I think he became a little bit more important when the team decided to move to various more to safety this offseason. Right, yeah, that's true. And we don't know if that's going to stick necessarily because the Niners are dealing with injuries at, at, you know, they lost Jimmy Ward. uh, So they need somebody to take reps with the third team there. So they tried more because he played safety in college and and maybe their new scheme that's a little bit more diverse in terms of the way they, they utilize their safeties. It's not it's not cut and dry with free safety and strong safety as, as much as it was previously. They're going to be a little bit more interchangeable than, than they were previously. So, yeah, I mean, if Tarverius Moore is no longer playing corner, then you really need a Keller to be good because he's going to get playing time. Um, yep. All right. Solomon Thomas, year three, third overall pick. One sack last year that wasn't really a sack because he was just sort of close to Derek Carr when Carr – decided to run out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. You know, we've, we've talked about Thomas a lot, and obviously he had the personal tragedy uh, more than a year ago in, in February. I want to say it's February 2018 that, you know, his sister unfortunately took her life. And he said, you know, over and over that, that had a huge impact on, on his life and his football career, secondly. But, I mean, the Niners need Thomas to be good. And and I don't – I'm not saying they necessarily need Thomas to be a 12-sack guy. I think – if they got five or six sacks from him in a supporting role for, you know, D Ford and Nick Bosa, that would be huge. And he might be the team's most versatile defensive lineman. I know, you know, neither of us think he's a great edge rusher, but, you know, I think he's really the only guy that they have who could competently line up on the edge and inside. And I think that is valuable because you're not going to have everybody healthy throughout the whole season and you can't just have Bosa and Ford play 100% of the snaps and bank on them to be as effective as the 49ers need them to be. So Solomon Thomas is going to get a lot of reps on the edge. He's also going to get a lot of reps on the inside, but he needs to be good. I mean, if the pass rush is going to get to the level where the 49ers expect it to be, he needs to he needs to be in that range of five or six sacks, and he needs to assert himself in the rotation um, because if he doesn't, then... Like we said earlier, like we're we're really going to have to wonder about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch just in terms of roster construction because this was the guy that they drafted first. That was the first pick of their regime. He's the second highest drafted player on the entire roster, only behind Nick Bosa, who was taken number two overall. And the 49ers would have taken Thomas second overall if, if they didn't get that trade offer from the Bears to move back one spot. I mean, they, they need Thomas to, to be good. And he looks... I mean, physically, his body is has changed for the better. I, w- I was watching him yesterday, and he's he's rocked up. <laughs> like he is, he is. <laughs> Did you just say rocked up? And it's not even draft season. He, Let's go. He's rocked up. Um, we were actually joking about this yesterday. Eric Branch was. That's the reason why I popped in my head. Eric, Eric Branch. Eric Branch was joking. Eric Branch, undoubtedly one of the funniest people I know, uh, and one of the most unique senses of humor I know. But yeah, he was talking, I forget the, the context of it, but he said somebody was rocked up and, and the media room was dying. Um, but Thomas is, it looks legitimately stronger and physically he looks really good. So I would uh, I would keep an eye out for him. I don't know, his production is, is largely going to depend on what his role is. 
and as long as Nick Bosa and D Ford and DeForest Buckner are all healthy, and Arms Eric Armstead too, Thomas might have a hard time getting a ton of snaps. But if he forces their hand and earns a lot of snaps, then that's going to be huge for for the Niners defense. Yeah, and I don't even think he needs to be like an elite player where everybody says, wow, this was the number three overall pick. He's amazing. I'm with you. He just needs to produce on some level that keeps him in the game, especially late, like when teams are trying to come back. We saw so many times last year uh, the Niners needed to stop late and their number three overall pick was on the sideline. Like you can't, they can't have that. He has to be better this year, uh, both in the short term and in the long term, as you alluded to, if he doesn't take some kind of step forward this year and is just kind of moves laterally career wise, a, he might not be on the team next year and b all eyes then go to Shanahan and Lynch. And I think it puts the rest of their drafts under a much heavier microscope than they're under now. All right, let's move on to our final uh, breakout candidate. And this is kind of funny because we we're thinking about the secondary and you just decided to say literally all of the safeties. And then I thought that was You can't on. pick one. You can't pick one because you, I think Jaquaski-Tard is just as important as Adrian Colbert. Um, Jimmy Ward, if he's healthy, is probably going to start and he's going to be massively important. Marcel Harris could end up seeing playing time because Tart has missed you know half his games the last two years with injuries. So all of the safeties are important. Super important. And the 49ers didn't really address the safety position in the offseason with the exception of re-signing Ward, bringing him back, and then moving him to safety after predominantly playing corner last the last couple of years. So any combination of two safeties stepping up in training camp and asserting themselves as quality 16-game starters is a win for San Francisco. It doesn't matter which two. Just any two of them would 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 really do. Right. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Secondary hasn't been good. They just need these guys to be good. They haven't invested the resources necessary in the in, into the position to really make anybody feel confident about it. And we all talked about, well, Jimmy Ward's always injured. What did Jimmy Ward do during OTAs? He broke his collarbone. So he's going to be out until training camp, and it's hard to feel – more confident in Jimmy Ward at this point. So yeah, the Niners need their safeties to be good. I mean, that's that's it. If their defense is, is going to take it to the next level, they need to capitalize on having an improved pass rush. That means more interceptions. Um, that means fewer breakdowns on the back end. Obviously, health is going to be a big part of it because when you start eight different combinations at safety as the 49ers did last year, you're really going to struggle, which is what happened. So they just they just need that to flip. They need health. And, and they need to uh, they need to get better production, and that's it. So I have people doing construction, like in multiple places around my apartment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to stay muted to keep the sounds of that from bleeding over. And I had myself muted there. But no, I, I completely agree with you on everything you said about, about the safety play. Like, that's just, it's vital. I, I can't, there's not a lot that more, a lot more that goes into it. There's not one thing that needs to be adjusted. There's not everything has to be different from their group of safeties this year. Are you having the uh, the built-in jacuzzi finally installed? Yeah, right here in my living room. I decided in front of the TV was probably best. I'm hoping to get a smaller version up in the office slash podcast studio, but 
but we'll see. That time will tell on on the in office jacuzzi. Kyle Montana. It's a Scarface reference. Yes. Yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you guys for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your pods. And we will talk to you guys next week. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.